Take a deep breath if it helps to close your eyes and just be here. Our goal is to be present and to be open and to be aware. And may grace be in our minds and in our thinking. May grace be in our eyes and in our seeing. May grace be in our ears and in our hearing. May grace be in our mouths and in our speaking. May grace be in our hearts and in our understanding. And may grace be at our ends and at our departing. Amen. And no matter who you are or where you are in your spiritual journey, you are celebrated here. Okay. So, um, if you were here yesterday, you got a lot of really rich material, but I'm not sure that we really got to know Suzanne Stabile. Are you nervous? Are you? I'm not. I'm asking Joe if he is. So, here's the question to you. Are you willing and ready to be known? Sure. Okay. There's not much people don't already know, but we'll go for it. What's the best sandwich? I don't like sandwiches, but I will tell you this, and it's the honest truth. The best sandwich I've ever had, I had yesterday in the break room between the morning and afternoon. Oh, session. really? Yep. Thanks to the volunteers. Yep, so that's again. Making that a possibility. You travel a lot. I do. On planes. I do. Window or aisle? Window. Me too. I like that. So a serious question. You said yesterday that Father Richard Rohr gave you a manuscript of his book about the Enneagram. Yep. And he said to you, take five years and study. Mm -hmm. And I wondered yesterday at the end of the day and after we'd spent time together, what did you do during that five years? What was the study? There wasn't much printed about right. the Enneagram. So right. what, what did you study? People. I just watched people. I'd think a little bit about an Enneagram number, and then I'd just watch people and see if I thought I saw that behavior in those people, and then I'd talk to them. You know, I talked to people. Yes. And I would ask questions so that I knew what their motivation was for the behavior. And then I'd just watch people some more and watch people some more, and I read memoirs, lots of them. Read what? Memoirs. And that was a way for me to look uh, more deeply into people and see if I knew what their Enneagram number was. So if you and I had never met yep. and we had sat down and had a sandwich or something, yep. could you have figured out my number? You're really easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The answer is yes. Okay. And what would have been the clues? Uh, you can say it. They've, there's nothing... This is not a censored crowd. Uh, the clues would be, you avoid pain and painful questions. You engage easily, but when things get a little dicey for you, you use humor to separate you from whoever you're talking to. Or in your case, which is not the norm, but you're old, you've had a long time to get there. <laughs> or you use deep teaching. So you tell a joke or you talk about Jungian psychology. 
Or both. Or both. And in that reality, you're avoiding sometimes what's happening in the present moment. Mm -hmm. You're really smart. Like, I don't want him to get a big head. I know y'all have to live with him after I leave. But you are super smart. And that covers a lot. But it doesn't cover any Enneagram number. Mm. Because vulnerability is always connected to motivation. So I, I do, as you suggested yesterday, I have a spiritual director. And I see her, love her. She's been very, very helpful to me. And she is constantly calling me on my number, calling me on the very things that you talk about. She's talking to me. She calls me on two things over and over, being pain avoidant and getting in the future. Yep. Those two things. That's it. Is it hopeless? <laughs> I mean, I've been working at this for a long time, and I still hear, oh, you're pain avoidant. And I think you will always be pain avoidant. Okay. But I don't think that's hopeless. I think it's how you manage being pain avoidant. So do you do the hard things and hate it? Yes, you do. Do you wish you didn't have to do it? Yes, you do. But you do it. Okay. And you have figured out a way to cover your... Um, like I've known you for 36 hours, but still. You're just so obvious. <laughs> As am I. I don't have any problem with that. We both are. Yeah. It's like there are people who might be hard to get to know in here, but it's not you and it's not me. Um, you're so smart that when you get to the edge of the vulnerability that you can handle, then you switch to your head. Mm. You just switch from feeling to thinking, and it's very smooth. So it, switching from thinking to feeling is hard. Not so smooth. Not so not so easy. So Riso and Hudson, when I read their book mm -hmm. and uh, got introduced to them, when I got introduced to you years ago, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I saw the enneagram as like a nine-level pie. And the lower three levels are low functioning, and then you said we function in the middle three areas and the high three areas. And you described the lower three levels as low energy. Did, did I hear that correctly yesterday? No. You talked about energy. What, what, I, what I would say is that in Enneagram work, you're either healthy, average, unhealthy. Or pathological. In, in excess in your number or pathological. And the place where people who are super extroverts, like us, the place where we get in trouble is in excess in our number. My excess is in believing that I can help everybody with everything. And your excesses are too many to name. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going like I had planned I at all. think so. I, I can see you have a plan over there, and you're supposed to be in charge. <laughs> so I was asked a question yesterday when we began, and uh, I don't remember. I think it was John Howard that asked a question who said, um, why were there more women here than men? <laughs> what was that? They're smarter. They're smarter. Well, okay. Um, I think there are more women than men because we're more teachable. 
But I'm not sure that's a great thing. I just think it's the reality of the position we've had in our, our culture and in all cultures. So mm -hmm. we were taught to learn before we were taught to teach because that's what was modeled for us. Mm -hmm. And men don't like certain words. Uh, they don't like spiritual growth. They don't like group sessions. They like to be in charge. And the, the great thing about the Enneagram is it's the great equalizer of all of us and all things. No number's better than another number. No number's worse than another number. None of us have a, a, the market cornered on, I've got this. I'll never know the Enneagram. And I'll just keep learning and learning and learning and learning. And as my audience has gotten younger, and it is probably, my average age audience has probably dropped 25 years in the last seven or eight That's years. That's encouraging. It's very encouraging. And I have a lot more men than I used to have. We had a lot of young men here yesterday. Yeah. And I think it's because of all the things that set the table for us to see one another, not as the same, but as equally capable of doing all the things. And so there's two sides to that. You know, Joe said to me, now y'all remember, Joe and I got married when he was 40. And he had been living institutionally since he was 14. So somebody took care of all the stuff and all the things. And also remember, if you don't know, that I was the first women's basketball coach at SMU after Title IX. And I had to fight through Title IX to get that for anybody, much less for me. So we came at our relationship, I was totally independent, I'd come out of a bad marriage, I was never gonna need a man for anything again. And so I was pretty much over here, I can do everything, and you're gonna do everything. And we had a baby, uh, we got pregnant the afternoon that we got married. <laughs> you know, when you've been celibate for 40 years. <laughs> Joe actually asked people to leave our reception. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Joe's in the delivery room with me, and BJ is Italian looking like Joe, and uh, he was a hairy, hairy child. And Joe's first words at holding BJ were, my God, he's an ape. He's a what? Ape. He was so hairy, Joe just said, my God, he's an ape. <laughs> so loving and tender. <laughs> and then there were diapers and all the, all the things that followed. And I made it clear that you were going to do diapers too and you were going to cook too, like we were going to split everything. And one day he said to me, how come I have to do the yard work? <laughs> how come I have to kill the, the bugs? How come I have to set the rat trap in the attic? And I made the slip of saying, those are boy jobs. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see what we did is women my age fought the good fight, but we ended up competing with one another because there were very few jobs available to us. So what our daughters have and what our mothers had in friendship with women, we don't have because we were elbowing our way. And so, it has taken all this time and parents like us who worked hard to raise daughters and sons like ours 
And so you said last night when we were at your home that you love to cook mm -hmm. and that you've cooked for your family for 40 years. Our son Joel, who works with us and he's back there, cooks for his family. In my parents' generation, men cooked fish they caught and elk that they killed, but they didn't cook for their families. So equality is not exactly what we're looking at, right? What we could have looked at if we were smarter was just equal opportunity. And that would have stopped women ending up in jobs they didn't really want, but they fought the good fight to get there. And men in positions with women they worked with who didn't know how to appropriately respond to female leadership. We made a lot of mistakes to get to where we are and where our adult children are. And they're making mistakes too, which hopefully will make things better. I don't have any idea what the question was, but I'm done talking about that. <laughs> well, just to complete the story, the reason I cook is that I, I seduce Sherry into my life by getting her to my condo and cooking meals, and while meals were cooking, I'd show her magic tricks. And so as the relationship progressed and we were deciding on a place to live, she said that she had to live in a place where there was a yard. And I said, well, before we take another step in this relationship, you need to know I've done my last millisecond of yard work. Yeah. I'm never under any circumstance going to do, do that again. again. And she said, I just cooked my last meal. <laughs> and that's how that happened. That's, that's it, exactly. And then she cheated. She hired the yard work done. Uh -huh. It happens. It was to take care of you. <laughs> do you want to know how Joe seduced me or no? No. It wasn't with cooking. <laughs> I, but I, okay, what do you do with your free time? I don't, I don't have any. What do you do for fun? This? Try to straighten him out? No, just be with him. Be with him. And read. Read novels? Yeah, but, yeah. What are you reading now? Um, I'm about to read the seven books that you mentioned in a half of a paragraph yesterday. <laughs> I take a lot of ridicule for that. But I bet I do. you do. I, I do too. Do you? Somebody told me once, if we read, if we bought every book that you mentioned while you're teaching during a three-day cohort, we couldn't eat. Um, I just finished reading Hidden Valley Road which is fascinating. Have you read that book? Okay. You've read it? No. Uh, you should. Okay. It is about uh, a family of 10 children, five of whom were schizophrenic. Ooh. And they became uh, the family uh, who provided vulnerability for much of the research that now is used to help schizophrenics. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I was so excited in that is because before I started doing what I do now, I, uh, after I taught in a Catholic high school for a while, I started a social service agency called Shared Housing. And I worked with the elderly poor. And many of the elderly poor who are unhoused are in fact schizophrenics. 
and their whole life has been circling through the state hospital on medication, back out in the world, can't stand the side effects, back on the street. The whole, the cycle just goes on and on and on. And so I have a heart for what I wasn't able to address effectively. And um, so I have been reading about schizophrenics. So uh, I want to talk about two very serious things, but uh, and some funny things too, but two very serious things. One, I'd like to talk about the church. Okay. And, and but you talked yesterday a little bit about something that really is a puzzle to me about enlightened self-interest when it comes to governing our, let's say our state. Okay. All right. We do, we shoot ourselves in the foot when it comes to what you just said about taking care of people who cannot take care of themselves. That's right. And when it comes to our education system. That's correct. And we keep electing idiots who don't fund or lead in the funding of public education to educate precious children who are someday going to end up in a cycle of despair if they don't have the tools to function in this society. Correct. And so sometimes I feel pretty hopeless about that. What, what, what do you say? Um, one of the best teachers I had in college at SMU uh, taught government. And he was so great, we all said to him at the end of the semester, you should run for office. Like, you're what we need, you should run for office. And he said, oh, but I'd, I'm not independently wealthy, I can't. So I don't, I don't know that I have the solution or, or even a valuable solution, but I have some ideas. I think we have to quit voting for ourselves and we have to vote for the collective. And we don't do that. Even those of us who consider ourselves to be enlightened and all the things. So I, I don't, I'm about to get in trouble. Do you want to leave? Honestly, uh, Joe left the priesthood at 40, and the Vincentian fathers with whom he had been for 26 years gave him $2,000 and kept his retirement. Ooh. And he married me, and I had three kids in debt. <laughs> he adopted the three kids, married me, we had a fourth, and no money. And we're in ministry. <laughs> And we, we don't make money in ministry. So we kind of decided life for us would be just the next right thing. But I have to tell you, uh, for three and a half minutes, after the previous president's time in office, we both looked at each other and said, we will be better off financially if we vote for him instead of Biden. And we voted for Biden. And we're not better off financially. Because we voted for the common good. And Joe thinks God's faithful all the time. And I'm trying. <laughs> and then Joe says, God can't, God can't be anything other than faithful. 
So all we have to do, he says, is the next right thing. And I believe when we, we vote, we have to vote for the next right thing. Not for five years from now, not for ten years from now. And the next thing right now is if we as a culture, I'm all whipped up now. If we as a culture don't take care of our elders and our children, we're going to pay for it for forever. Ever. Yep. Forever. Forever. And the only way we can take care of our children is with good public funded education. Absolutely. It's the only answer. And the only way we're going to get that is if we pay teachers. Why be a school teacher when you can't live on a teacher's salary? Absolutely. Why do that? And school teachers don't have a community that will give them a pounding when they don't have food and they're young in ministry or any of the other things. They have to make it on their own somehow. So we are going to reap what we sow. And we continually push this whole thing of, I'm just going to take care of me. You take care of you and I'll take care of me. Well, if I had to take care of me this morning to get up the steps from the sacristy into my spot where God knows why I'm there, except that y'all invited me to be, up the steps into the pulpit, doodah, I can't get there by myself. So I don't know how we learn to have the humility to say, could you give me a hand because I can't get up these steps? Could you teach me what you know about how to vote? Could you give me something to read that's real and honest and true? Because I don't know how to vote my conscience, number one, because I don't have a church that holds me to my conscience, sorry, and number two, because they lie all the time, so how am I supposed to know who to vote for? So you said in your sermon today, and you said yesterday, <clears throat> and I, I'm in this camp with you. You said I love church. I do. And um, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to church, too. Sure we are. And uh, the, the recent split in the Methodist church is just heartbreaking. Yes. And... I wish that we had a way to do what you suggested yesterday about coming together to grieve and lament. Well, Joe and I, uh, you want me to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, Joe and I have joined with the uh, Methodist Foundation. Life in the Trinity Ministries, which is our nonprofit, is partnering with the Methodist Foundation to... Um, do that. So we came up with the idea that Enneagram speak had to be the common language that everybody was speaking because it's the only language that, that makes room for difference and the different ways that we see. It's the only language I know that does that. And that anybody who wanted to participate in this program had to learn the Enneagram from me. Frankly, because I'm the best. <laughs> and then, once we're all seeing each other differently, then we've done that step with our uh, pilot group, which is four churches, and I'll tell you about them in a minute. 
And with that pilot group, uh, we've, I've taught the Know Your Number Day. Uh, our next two sessions are on Enneagram grieving because we have so much to grieve. Is there a way that we can access that? Uh, as soon as this pilot group's done, you can hire us. <laughs> okay. Yes, there is a way. Okay. I'd like to do that. It will be on video, and it'll be better in person. I'd like to have you back to do uh, that. We would love to come do that. Joe's going to be the chaplain for all the pastors who participate. We're filming everything because there are so many small churches who have been devastated by this reality for us and manipulated into voting for things they didn't know what they were voting right. for, by the way. And um, so uh, after Enneagram and Grieving, then uh, Joe and another pastor with whom he teaches contemplative, he has a contemplative cohort, they're going to teach that. And we're going to have another person who has worked with me for a long time who's going to teach Enneagram and family systems because anything you know about family systems, you can lay on a church culture and have the exact same thing going on. That's Friedman's work from, I don't know, 30 years ago. And so we're looking at the potential for a three-year program. But after year one, after we get the grieving part handled, then you can kind of pick and choose which other parts you want. We have a brand new uh, minister of pastoral care here, uh -huh. Melinda Owen. She's a fireball. I really like her. And, and uh, she, she's a former Baptist too, by the way. And uh, you know the reason Methodists like Baptists is because we tithe. That's, oh, I thought you were going to say it's because you don't drink our beer. Well, we do when you're not looking. Okay. You do tithe. Every denomination has something to offer, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Melinda and I have been talking, and, and she wants to get Stephen Ministry started here. Yep. So could we tie into this cohort Enneagram thing and make that a part of that? Stephen Ministry? You know about Stephen Ministry. Yeah. Yep. We need that in this church. Yeah, I think we could. Yeah. We're very creative. I'd like to, uh, that'd be a, a great thing to have here. Yeah. Here's one of my favorite parts of the morning. Uh, one of the uh, women who received Eucharist from me. Of this morning? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. She said, what are you doing? You going to turn me off? No. <laughs> I'm going to hold this over here. She said, she said, I believe every word you said. Do you have to be Catholic to get there? <laughs> and do you have to have been Catholic to get there? And I said, no. And I thought it was an inappropriate time to say you just have to have been Catholic to get Joe. So I didn't. <laughs> I, what, what would happen if we brought together the best of every denomination? What if we had the real open doors, open mind? What was that thing we used to say that was a big lie? Open doors, open hearts, open minds. Yeah. Obviously, we've proven that to not be true. <laughs> But, but what if we had the best of the Methodist Church and the best of the Baptist Church and the best of the Catholic? What if we had all of that and instead of dividing over stupid stuff, came together over the holy pieces? That'd be wonderful. It would be wonderful, and somebody's going to have to try it. You want to start a church? Uh, I've been trying to get Joe to start a church. I just don't know if I want to... 
share Joe with you. <laughs> You're awfully interesting and um, uh, you're, you, so it's my turn. You, you like said so many nice things to me yesterday right here. I got a bunch of other no, no, questions. No, no, you just wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> One of the reasons I would know in a heartbeat that you're a seven is because you've got room for so much. You are a thinker, and you have room for so much. And you don't need to talk your way out of things that you disagree with. Instead, you, you've learned to think and live your way into things that you don't yet understand. That is as mature a seven as I have ever met. Well, wow, thank you. Ever. Thank you. And I've met a bunch of them. Richard Rohr has a theory that I do not agree with until maybe now, but don't tell him. He has a theory that as a child, you were your security number until life kind of messed with you and messed things up. And so you know that in security, you go to five. And in stress, you go to one. And as a child, I gather, if Richard is right about some of us, I don't think it's true for everybody, then you spent a lot of time in five before you found yourself and your way forward in seven. Richard is a one on the Enneagram, but he was in seven as a child. And the older he gets and the wiser he gets, the more you see the seven and the less you see the one. And so I think you are really blessed, and if you don't know it, and if nobody's reminded you lately, people don't get this kind of teaching when they go to church on Sundays. They don't get it. And until they do, we are going to have a hard time growing spiritually. United Methodist curriculum for Sunday school is horrible. Awful. It's horrible. Yep. I have taught Sunday school in every church we belong to because I can't stand to listen to that stuff. And people who show up and volunteer to do that are so brave. They're so brave. People don't like to teach adults like we do. And they're so brave to do that. And if we gave them something good to work with, wonder what we could do then. But we just hand out pablum and what we get back is babies. There is good curriculum out there. Yeah, it's not Methodist. No. <laughs> But there is good curriculum out there. There is good there. curriculum. There is. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I think a commitment to both religious and spiritual literacy is what the church needs. Me too. And, and um, it's not being done. We're losing people in our worship because, and I don't want to go into that rant, but we have so much that we sing, say, <clears throat> and do that was built in a pre-Copernican world, and we don't live in that world anymore. Right. So uh, my teaching is that you fall into, Enneagram teaching, not mine, is that you are either thinking dominant, feeling dominant, or doing dominant. And all that means is that when you are exposed to anything from the environment, you respond first every time with either what do I think, what do I feel, or what am I going to do? If worship doesn't include 
a path for what do I think, what do I feel, and what am I going to do, then we've lost people in worship. Yeah. And if Sunday school, or whatever we want to call that, if in those opportunities for spirituality, we aren't teaching people to bring up their repressed center, in other words, offering opportunities for those of us who are thinking repressed to bring up thinking, and those who are feeling repressed to bring up feeling, and those who are doing repressed to bring up doing, then we're missing the mark there too. And if we're going to have holistic spirituality connected to our denominational worship, then we're going to have to get smart about seeing to it that we are engaging everybody in worship and providing an opportunity for spiritual growth with everybody who spends an extra hour with us on Sunday. Amen. I agree with that. Okay. <clears throat> you like movies? I hope you understand this answer. I like Joe better. If I have a choice of two hours to watch a movie and two hours to just be with him, I choose him every time. Wow. Everybody in the world's telling me I've got to go see the Barbie movie. Have you been? Yes. What do you think? think I, I love the Barbie That's movie. That's what I hear. Joel, Joel, are you in here? Joel's also a seven, like you. And uh, when I talk about teaching shame, fear, and anger, that's a good one. I'm going to teach that too. We're going to do that with uh, this pilot thing we're working on. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't but help me. I never get angry. <laughs> I lie to the, the part that I was going to speak to is the fact that my son, who's a growing spiritually seven, said, you know, Mom, you talk about shame, and it's not your, you know, anger's your thing. You're right about that. But he said, I don't think I've ever felt shame. And he's, in my opinion, had some reasons to. But he said <laughs> it, that they, they didn't cause him to feel shame. But he said when he watched the Barbie movie, he felt it for the first time. Really? Yep. You know, many people who are gathered here will know somebody. You do not know what a dear friend of mine, his name is Matt Russell. And, and Matt and I met. Meet I some, actually know Matt Russell. Do you? Oh, yeah. We got to talk. We have been. <laughs> I did, but I know that about you. Matt's a seven, too. Yes, he is. <clears throat> I love Matt. I love Matt, too. And, and um, so we get together for coffee. Matt's and, wife spent, she was in a, Apprentice group, three years with me. Really? Oh yeah, I know way. I know way more about Matt than you do. <laughs> <laughs> we should get together and compare notes. <laughs> anyway, uh, when Matt and I met for coffee the last time, I said just seen Barbie, and I said, Matt, have you seen Barbie? And he said twice. <laughs> yeah. Joel says it's on loop at his house. His wife and girls. It's just. He they, says they it's, just you can buy it, it you can buy it now. And over and over. Yeah. I had somebody tell me that they bought it uh, for that very purpose, for their kids, so that they could see it. If you haven't seen Barbie, you gotta see the movie. It's socially have you seen it? Not yet. Joe, take her to the movie. <laughs> it doesn't do any good, she sits there looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. I'll never get enough of him. Oh, I'll never get enough of him. Sometimes he was celibate till he was forty. 
Get that right for me to stop talking. Well, you're saying a lot about yourself that we're not going to talk about. So. <laughs> um, who, uh, who is the living person on this planet that you most admire? <laughs> Don't say Joe. I mean, we're, we've heard about Joe. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just something about that 40 years. <laughs> um, and, and he's the best person I know. Like, it's not always fun. He's no fun to gossip with, right? He, like, he doesn't, he, he doesn't worry or fret. It's not all heaven. Um, the person I most admire. That's a very big question. Okay, we'll come back to it. If heaven exists. I'll tell you the person I most admire uh, right this, in this little season right here. Uh, do you know Felicia? What's Felicia's last name? She's a district superintendent in North West Texas, and she's in my cohort. She's the first woman district superintendent in that conference, and she's the first black woman, of course, uh, district superintendent in that conference. And of all the churches that she was responsible for, all but... And how many stayed behind? 35 churches stayed behind. Left? Everybody left, except for 35 churches. 153 left, 35 stayed behind. Oh. And she's a fireball. And she just keeps coming every three months to the Micah Center to spend three days with her cohort with me. And she keeps showing up saying, it's going to be great. We're starting new churches. We're going to make this work. We have a remnant. It's going to be great. And the people who are complaining about their conferences just kind of go. I admire her so much, so much, because she didn't, she didn't say, move me. She didn't say, I'm done. She just said, we're going to make this work. We're the remnant, and we're going to make this work. And I don't know how many people you lost. I don't know if you lost none. I don't know how much money you lost. I don't know who left. From I don't this know who church? Stayed. Yeah. None. Great. Uh, that's not true most churches. I know. And the churches we're working with, listen to this. Those are the people I admire the most right now, the pastors we're working with. So hear this. And you'll have to talk about what we did at our church today when we're here. Because you have to come up here and you can speak into my microphone. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Joel, I'm so sorry. Can you imagine what it's like? For your son to hear all of this innuendo between your parents and he has to stay in the room. Look at him, he's just stone-faced. He's not moving. <laughs> um, can I say the name of the churches? 
Sure. Lake Highlands United Methodist Church. The vote was 50-50. So they didn't disaffiliate. But they split. That half left. No, well, not half. Some didn't leave. But the pastor left and started a church right down the road and named it First Global Methodist Church of Dallas. And the people with the money went with her. And the choir went with her. So this guy is trying to pastor the remnant. And everybody's grieving. You know, you may not like what the church did, but you liked the people in your Sunday school class. And they're gone. And you may not have known that there were certain people who were able to fill in what you needed to meet the budget at the end of the year. They're gone. And this guy's saying, we need some help. And our response is, There's no, we can't help till we grieve. Spring Valley. This guy uh, just got there. He's been there three months. And all of their money left and everybody but one person on their staff. So he's trying to build everything with the remnant. Our church is in. Uh, Your church is? First United Methodist Church downtown Dallas. Come, really do come tell them what we're doing today. I'll move this so it's. Well, you need it. Yeah, you need it because we're going out to thousands of people. Oh, okay. We hope. Thousands. I kind of forgot about that. Uh, right today at First United Methodist Church Dallas at one o'clock this afternoon, our church is doing uh, all church vote on a resolution that was brought to our church from our trustee committee at the church and the resolution is that we will begin to allow and perform same gender weddings in our sanctuary immediately we will also welcome thank you we will welcome gay clergy on our staff and we will be supportive of anybody in our congregation who is gay who is uh, looking for ordination or proceeding toward ordination. It was a resolution that was brought to the church, not from the clergy on staff at the church. It was brought from the laity within the church, and it was decided that we would make this decision and have this vote now, even prior to general conference in 2024, in believing that something will happen at general conference in 2024 to change the wording in the discipline, but we don't want to wait because even if and when that happens in 2020, when we hold the vote next year, 2024, it would take some years to get that wording into the discipline and actually active. So we as a congregation, um, our congregation wants to move forward in a positive direction of uh, including everybody. That's wonderful. First United Methodist Church. So the vote is literally the entire church is gathering at First United Methodist Church today at one o'clock. We both got to vote absentee and they're going to have an election and by two o'clock this afternoon, we'll know the result of the vote and the church will move forward. Thank you. Uh, lay people, lay people uh, in St. Paul's, you heard what he said? 
you could generate this so it doesn't have to come from clergy. I'll tell you, uh, we, we got to quit in a minute, but I, I will tell you that after the General Conference debacle a few years ago, there was a huge ad that appeared in the Houston Chronicle. A thousand United Methodist lay people and clergy, but mostly lay people, signed this petition or declaration saying how embarrassed and ashamed we were at what happened at General Conference. And a thousand people from the Houston area signed that. Over 200 of those thousand were members of St. Paul. There you go. So, so right back at you. Yeah, that's where, that, that's where we've been. So one quick question. Okay. And then we're going to go. People use words like that with me a lot. Quick, short, easy. <laughs> What's the easy, quick question? We'll see. That doesn't mean I'm going to be brief. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you pass through the pearly gates? You are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Amen. You know, I want to say again what I said yesterday. You're such a gift. And it, in being here, I didn't think we could get you. But I think we could get you back now. Absolutely. Yeah, because you know these, these are Lovely. great people. They are great people. Really great people. The, I walked in here yesterday and saw the tables lined this way. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to communicate with these people. And because of you, I was. And we had a great day. really great day. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you all, no matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo, so watch your step, and I'll see you here next Sunday. And Suzanne will be preaching at the 11 o'clock service.